This week's podcast episode is sponsored by Views and Cues, who makes their really neat Royal Caribbean scratch-off poster. When you buy this wall-worthy hanging post, you can scratch off each Royal Caribbean cruise ship that you've sailed on, and it even includes Odyssey of the Seas already. This is a great gift for any cruise fan or yourself, and looks great on your office wall, cubicle, or even your kid's bedroom. Remember what ships you've loved and which ones you need to sail on next, and check out the Royal Caribbean scratch-off poster available at Views and Cues. Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 409. With cruises about to restart again, and from a lot of places that you might not think about going on a cruise, perhaps, flying to your cruise has never been more important. So this week, I wanted to go back to basics with booking a flight for your cruise. Here we go. Before the cruise industry shut down and our everybody's lives changed, living in Florida, we would rarely ever fly to a cruise. It just wasn't usually necessary. It wasn't that we wouldn't do it, but... Most of the time, we had a lot of cruise ships going out of Florida and ample opportunity to be able to drive to a cruise. And at the end of the day, I don't care where you live, if you're able to drive to a cruise, it's a lot easier because you're taking away a added aspect of the vacation. But we actually have our first cruise coming up, and it's going to require us to fly there. And I thought this week we could talk about flying to a cruise, uh, flying 101 when it comes to cruise ship planning, because you know, I, I think that at the very least, as the cruise industry begins to restart, we're going to see few options in the beginning. Royal Caribbean and the cruise lines in general have all said that their restart plans are going to be slow and methodical. And what this means is they're not going to bring back every single ship in the fleet. And that also means, of course, that you're not going to have ships necessarily sailing out of every single port they were before the whole cruise industry shut down because of the pandemic. So there's a good chance you might have to fly to your cruise, maybe more so than before, unless, of course, you live in a part of the country or part of the world where you don't have cruise ships in your backyard and flying is just part of the vacation. And it's something that I have to remind myself about as well, that a lot of people end up flying regardless of where they're going, regardless if there's a shutdown or not of the industry, just the nature of the beast. But if you're looking to fly in for your cruise, you know, there's a couple of definitely important things you want to keep in mind. Number one, and this is going to be something that I think is very important for planning a flight to a cruise in 2021 and even 2022, and that is to seriously consider booking your flights through Air to Sea. Air to Sea is the program that Royal Caribbean offers in which you can buy your flights through the cruise line and uh, it, it's tied to your reservation. Now, in the again, before the shutdown, Air to Sea was something I would have sat here and said, if you're doing an international flight, it might not be a bad idea to go through Air to Sea. But, you know, generally speaking, there was a lot of good reasons not to go through Air to Sea, uh, you know, whether you had credit card points or maybe pricing. I mean, Royal Caribbean does charge a little bit of a fee for using their services. So, you know, there, there's there's a lot of rationale, perhaps, not to do it. But in today's day and age, in 2021, 2022, it's very difficult for me to imagine booking flights that are not through air to sea. What I love about booking flights through air to sea are a couple of things. Number one, if you book your flight through the cruise line and Royal Caribbean ends up canceling the cruise, because let's face it, cruise cancellations are not necessarily going anywhere. Uh, you know, basically with that, in that situation, 
Royal will refund your airfare full cash back, no questions asked, no hoops to jump through. With the airlines, if you book it through the airlines or even worse through like one of these, you know, third parties like an Expedia or something like that, good luck getting your money back. I mean, certainly you could book refundable airfare. Most people don't do that. I mean, just the in, in airfare, the difference between refundable and non-refundable is just astounding. So, you know, it, people rarely go that route, but you know, having it through the cruise line is just so much easier. And on top of that, the flexibility provides it. When I, what thing I love about booking airfare through air to sea now is if you book it today for your cruise in, I don't know, September, December, January of next year, you have, you don't have to make actual any payment on the airfare until your final payment date for your cruise. So to me, that gives me so much more flexibility in terms of being able to book cruises and flights, locking in those rates without having to actually commit to it. So what I mean by that is let's say you're looking at a cruise to Alaska for next year, or you're thinking about booking one of those awesome West Coast cruises on Navigator that's out of LA. Well, you probably need to book airfare for those for those cruises, right? But rather than put the money out now and then have to figure out what's going to happen if that cruise actually happens or you change your mind, lots of things are happening in the world, you never know. When you book through Air to Sea, you don't have to make any payment now. And then at your final payment date, then you actually pay off the flights, but it allows you to lock in the price. In a lot of cases, when you're doing longer flights, international flights, especially number one, and number two, you know, longer flights, not, not, you know, two out, more than two, three hours, you know, like cross country flights, transcons, you're going to find a, a wide range of prices and the prices really do vary. And there's not a ton of flights on these routes. So again, once seats go, that's it, right? There's not a ton of choices. So the nice thing is you can lock in the rate case in point. We were looking at book. We booked actually a cruise on Navigator of the Seas to California, out of California, uh, for Christmas this year. We're not sure we're actually going to go on it. We're, we're. I just booked it because I wanted to YOLO book it. You never know, right? And I told my wife, listen, I feel like there's a good chance we'll go. We might change our mind for a variety of reasons, but in the meantime, I just want to put a deposit down. It's one of my favorite strategies, right? If you're not sure you're going to go on the cruise, still your best bet is to put a deposit down, a refundable deposit down lock in the rate, and then decide later on if you're actually going to go. Well, that works fine and dandy for cruises, but what about the airfare? Because I don't want to be deciding in, you know, 90 days out, oh, I want to book this cruise finally, and then yikes, the airfare is crazy expensive. Well, I went to Air to Sea, I looked it up, and the price was reasonable. The price for a uh, flight from Orlando to LA was pretty much what I would consider a good price for our family to go to. And I said, well, let's just book Air to Sea, and that way if we cancel before final payment date, we don't have an issue there. We, we, we're not out the money on the, on the flights. And number two, it also allows us to uh, lock in our, our seats and just kind of have that all squared away. So I think when you're looking to book a flight, whether you're looking at maybe this Barbados cruises uh, later this year, that begin in December, or really any cruises coming up here, air to sea is a really good idea. Now, when you're also booking your flights, you probably also want to have a really good idea about baggage because when you drive to a cruise port, boy, it's so easy. As long as your car can fit it, you can bring it with you, right? So if my kids bring, you know, t a backpack and a suitcase, I don't care. I mean, I probably still yell at them because I yell at them about a lot of things, but you know, it's, it's not the end of the world, right? But now when you're flying, it's a whole different ball game in terms of, you know, bringing bags on and baggage fees. Let's face it. Almost every airline has baggage fees. I mean, Southwest Airlines is probably the exception to this, but, you know, Southwest may not be going to the place that you're going to for your cruise, so that may not be an option for you. I think, in general, you want to do your best to try to plan 
your baggage as well as you can. Most airlines seem to give you a better deal on your checked baggage if you purchase it, purchase your bags ahead of time as opposed to showing up to the airport and asking for checked luggage. That can cost you a little bit more there. You know, the there are there are people out there that can pack it all in a in a carry-on luggage for their cruise. I, I admire their gumption. I don't know how they do it. I could never do it, but I admire what they do. But I think in reality, for most families, you know, you, you're going to do checked luggage. So again, you probably want to also, ideally, when you're booking your airfare, book your, book your your checked luggage as well, so you can lock that in. Unless, of course, you you have status with the airline. Sometimes people who have status or have a certain credit card, you may be able to get you know a free bag or something like that. But you definitely want to take a look at that because those are important things to to keep in mind when it comes to check baggage. And it's really just about cost, right? Because if it was free, I don't think any of us would really care that much, but it's really about managing costs. Now, of course, when we're talking about booking airfare, something that I've spent a lot of time talking about in previous episodes, but it's worth repeating nonetheless, and that is flying at least a day ahead of time of your cruise. You know, there are a lot of people who will book their flights now on the same day because they're booking through the cruise line, through air to sea, and saying, listen, Royal Caribbean's got my back on this. And to some extent, yes. I mean, if your flight's delayed, you know, an hour or so or something like that, I mean, you're not going to have too many of an issue. The issue for me is just that what Royal Caribbean is basically saying is they'll get you on the ship. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hold the ship back for hours or a day at a time because your flight is canceled. Now you have to go out the next day kind of situation. Basically, what Royal Caribbean will say is they're going to get you on there, which is code for, listen, if the cruise ship has to leave and you're not there yet, that's fine. Royal will find a way to get you there. And I'm just not comfortable personally on going on little small planes to whomever, to wherever in order to meet up with the ship there personally. So I still think it still behooves you to come in at least a day ahead of time. Now, I get it. Some people just can't do that. It's an extra vacation day. It's an extra hotel cost. I, I understand all these concerns. I'm just saying, in general, best practices, it is still a good idea to come in at least a day ahead of time for your cruise. It's just, it, it takes so much of the stress out of the experience and with, you know, inclement weather. And, and again, when we're talking about these routes that don't have a ton of flights, one thing when you're doing like, you know, New York to Florida, right? If you're doing, we're talking about that. There's a bazillion and one flights that go from New York to Florida. It's a very busy uh, market, and, and you'll find plenty of choices there. But if you're flying internationally or flying to markets that are not that well-traveled, you know, Barbados, or you're doing a transcon or you're going over to Europe, you may find a lot less choices there. And that means that if your flight is canceled for whatever reason or significantly delayed, that could cause a problem for you. So you got to understand where you're going, what your choices are in, in that regard. But I still think, in general, it's a really good idea to book your flights uh, the day before. If you are coming in the same day, or in general, it really doesn't matter, this can apply to anybody, one of your best strategies, especially in the summer months, is you want to book a flight, ideally, first flight of the day. If you can make that work, I mean, if I was going to book a flight the same day of my cruise, I would look at the schedule to figure out what is the earliest first flight of the day to get out on. Number one, theoretically, your aircraft should already be there. So you don't have to worry about your, your incoming uh, flight being delayed and, and thus delaying your flight. Number two, weather delays typically occur later in the day, especially here in Florida, and, and this is true of the tropics as well. The atmosphere doesn't start getting warmed up till obviously late morning, afternoon, and then you get those thunderstorms and typically the kind of weather that delays flights or even cancels them altogether. But if you take that first flight of the day, the risk is significantly lower. So in my opinion, if you're going to, I would say, again, it doesn't even matter <laughs> which whether you're coming in a day or a week ahead of time, try for that first flight if you can. Uh, yes, it may mean waking up super duper early in order to make it, but hey, maybe that'll actually mean you'll be able to 
fall asleep on a flight, which I rarely ever do, but you never know, uh, that would definitely be the way to go about it. Now, something else that I think a lot of people don't think about when they're booking their flights is also how you're going to get from the airport to wherever you're going, whether it's the cruise terminal, whether it's your hotel or, I don't know, your, your friend's house. You know, getting out of the airport is something else to consider. Now, ordinarily, I'm the kind of person who's like, listen, every airport has a bazillion taxis waiting for you. I, I just can't think of a scenario in which that would be a problem to be able to walk out of the, the you know, terminal, out of the airport, go right to the curb and not be able to pick up a cab very easily. The issue you may run into is if you have a lot of luggage, large family, or both, right? And you may need a larger vehicle because typically taxis are, you know, sedans, four-door sedans. And this is fine for, you know, one or two or even three or four people. It depends how much luggage you've got. But again, they don't have a limit, limitless amount of storage for your luggage. So if you're traveling with a lot of luggage, and this typically happens on longer sailings, you might consider arranging car service for you to get you from where you're going. Now, listen, again, you you know who you're dealing with here, right? In terms of what you're packing and what you're bringing with you. But a car service also, number one, may be a little bit easier. A lot of car services are those people that you see when you come out of the, out of the, out of the gate and you arrive in the baggage claim area and you've got those drivers who are holding up a sign with your name on it, they're not just there to make you feel important. They're there to help with your luggage, which can be also important if you've got kids. In addition, speaking of kids, you might need a car seat. Now, in a lot of countries, car seat rules are very different than the United States and more suggestions than requirements. But if it's important to you, you definitely want to go through a car service because most, if not all taxes, don't carry car seats with them standard issue. So, you know, that's something you have to prearrange for you. And if you're coming in late at night or super early in the morning, it might be a really good idea not to have to sit around there and see who's around. Again, I, I don't think you'll ever have to run into an issue in which there aren't taxes at an airport, but there is something to be said about having everything squared away and having someone waiting for you to assist you with it, whether they're helping with the luggage or just simply being there when you're ready to go. That's a nice thing to do. In addition to that, some people will actually go for shuttle services or group services, right, to save money. Because while car service is nice, it ain't cheap, right? And if you want to do a bus service or, or a shuttle service, there are a lot of these that are available, and they can easily take you to these places, save you a lot of money. With shuttle services and things of these nature, number one, obviously, you're on someone else's schedule, so you may be waiting on the bus for a little bit to fill it up or going on a schedule, perhaps saying, like, every 30 minutes, we believe, or something like that. Keep that in mind. In addition to all that, Royal Caribbean offers its own service, which are the uh, transfers that you can get from the airport to your cruise ship. Now, the Royal Caribbean transfers you book through the cruise line, they're not cheap. So unless you've got, if you've got less than like two people, most of the other times taking a taxi is a better alternative. But um, the transfers are available to you. They're through the cruise line. And the nice thing is if you are flying the same day of your cruise, then in most cases, they will take your luggage for you which may save you a little bit of a step. Now, again, it's no different than other shuttle services, right? You get to the baggage claim, you pick up your bags, you go to wherever the transfer service is, and then you sit on a bus and you wait for the bus to leave for, again, whether it has to get filled up or on a certain schedule, you're moving at someone else's schedule, which for me personally, I hate that. I, I hate moving on someone else's schedule. I want to go now <laughs> and I'm ready to, and I'm willing to pay for it. I, I understand that aspect of it. But the transfer services are a very attractive option, especially in countries where you're worried about a language barrier or you're just not certain about things. Or again, you're traveling in a very small group. Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe it's you and somebody else. Transfers can make a lot of sense, especially again, if you are, like I said earlier, going, you're flying the same day of your cruise and you're going straight from the airport to the cruise ship. I mean, you could do a taxi, but 
It just makes it sometimes a little bit easier to go through the cruise line and book those transfers. But my thought on the transfers always, number one, it's not cheap. And again, I think in most cases, it may make more sense to have a taxi or shuttle service, especially obviously if you're coming in more than a day ahead of time, then it's not an option as well. But you should be aware they do exist. So at least price shop what they offer and then compare that to obviously going on your own and depending on else what you want to do. Some people come in and they want to do some sightseeing beforehand, and that may or may not be an option for you to check out. All right, friends, time to answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into the inbox to answer the emails you've sent in. You can always send me your emails to be read right here on the podcast by sending it to Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email is from Chris Arechadera, who writes, Hi, Matt. When booking a cruise, I always go back and forth between avoiding ships that I've already been on and sacrificing the great itineraries and thinking I should just suck it up and go on the same ship. I'm one of those people that like to check off ships that I've been on. Plus, the wife always prefers a different ship every time to keep things interesting while cruising. We're re- we really are able to only cruise once a year or so coming from the West Coast. I'm wondering what your methodology is when going on the same ships multiple times and if it's just me or someone like you has the same thoughts on cruising the same ships. Chris, great email, dude, because I definitely give a higher preference to ships or itineraries that I have not been on. Uh, you know, it, it's not quite always like I will purposely avoid ships or itineraries I've been on in favor of the other. It really depends on a variety of factors, right? I think number one, you know, new ships, like brand, brand new ships that like I, it could go to my parents' house and I would still want to uh, go on that ship because new ships are always of interest. So I would definitely put ships that are brand new at the top of the list. I would then put ships I haven't been on right below that. And then itineraries, like unique itineraries. Like if we're doing an itinerary that's I'm debating between going to, you know, Cozumel, Falmouth, and Perfect Day Coco Key versus another itinerary which has maybe a very similar itinerary, but it has an extra island I haven't been to before, or I haven't been to in more than, I don't know, five or seven years, then I might give that a little more preference. But it, it's a balance, in my opinion, because at the same time, while I'd love to visit more exotic and different ports, you know, also which ship it is, how much they, the cost difference, uh, and a variety of factors may play into it. You know, cruising with families, one of the things that always factors in is which ship it is. You know, there's, in, in our opinion, in our family's opinion, there's a major difference between a Vision class ship and obviously an Oasis class ship or even a Voyager class ship in terms of what there is to do. I, it wouldn't stop me. If there was an amazing itinerary, like if there was Panama Canal, which we've never done, I would love to do Panama Canal, and it was on a Vision class ship, I think we would still do it, right? But if we're talking about being able to go to Tortola, which is an island I've never been to before, or uh, on a smaller ship, like a like again, a Vision class ship again, or perhaps another itinerary in a ship we've already been on before, I might lean in the other direction. It really depends on a variety of fact. Again, cost, logistics, all that. But everything being equal, yes, I would absolutely give preference to an itinerary and or ship I've never been on, I think a lot of us want to have that ability to check things off. We, we, we like that. It's kind of a neat thing. And listen, this is a shameless plug because you already heard the shameless plug in the beginning of this episode is the ad read. But you know, we, we I talked about this awesome map that you can have. You can scratch off the ships that you've been on. This isn't a coincidence. This is something people really do like doing, and myself included. So it's a bit, it's a bit badge of honor. Like you, I think at the end of the day, at some point, you'd love to be able to say you've been on every single Royal Caribbean ship out there. And so I think for that point. There, there's some truth to that, Chris. So you're not alone. You're not crazy, dude. At least not on this anyway. So 
Thanks, Chris. Good to hear from you again. Our next email is from Ryan, who writes, Hi, Matt. I'm booked on a casino comp on Ovation of the Seas in September to Alaska. I've got a question in regards to the internet service for this itinerary. I've heard that the ship service is poor in Alaska. How bad is it? I don't need to be connected at all times, but I like to have a connection most of the time as there's family at home with health issues. I'd like to be able to keep in touch. Ryan, thanks for the email. So I've been on one Alaska cruise, which was Explorer of the Seas. And uh, I will tell you this. It was terrible, dude. Going up from Seattle, not not too bad. Like, you know, it was slow, but manageable. Connected, fine. When we went through the inside passage and we... Once we went through the inside passage, the internet disappeared for the rest of the cruise. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's a combination of the latitude. We're so far we're so far north and the fact that the 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 views are being blocked the satellite views are being blocked by mountains that it just it was dead i mean i in fact i seem to recall the last day the last day or two it's just non-existent whatsoever uh, i think i had to rely a lot of a lot of times like waiting until like midnight or 1 a.m when most people were asleep people to use the internet to get my live blog post up, but it's really bad. The saving grace is if when you're in port, certainly when you get into a port, Skagway, Juneau, Victoria, Canada, your internet works fine because your cell phone internet works fine, I should say. And in a lot of cases, actually the ship internet then resumes because they plug in or whatever the case may be. I'm not even sure what the technical term is, but you're fine when you're in ports and, and they will magically resume and then everything is good again, right? But the second your ship leaves, it's off. So, um, you know, going back to your situation, if you can go like 24 hours without a connection, then you'll resume it. That'd be fine. But obviously, if you have mission critical stuff or you need to be available at a moment's notice. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like you can deal with slow Internet. But it, it, the time that I went, it was really non-existent for the second part of the cruise outside of when we were in port. So I just want to be real with you on this, Ryan, because obviously it sounds like it's an important factor for you. I want to make sure that you're uh, you've got the right things in mind. So. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question there. Next, we have an email from Craig. Right, good day, Mike or Matt. Matt and mate, I'm sure. Uh, hi from Australia. We have a cruise booked for December from uh, from Sydney on Ovation of the Seas. Due to the slow rollout of the vaccine in Australia, what happens if we can't get it in time before the cruise? Craig, thanks for the email, buddy. You know, it remains to be seen exactly what to expect in terms of you know the Australia because you guys down under are dealing with a very similar situation we had up here in the States, probably right around uh, December, January timeframe. What I mean by that is we were staring at basically the no sale order. We weren't allowed to have any cruises going. There was really no progress being made. Vaccines had just come out, but really nobody had them yet. So the outlook was very grim. It was not good, right? And my hope is that what happened to us will happen to you in that it will rapidly improve as the vaccine gets to countries like Australia. And case, I mean, you already have a really low case count, so this is a completely different situation in that regard. But again, I hope that you'll have an opportunity to see a rapid return to service down there. I think there's a lot of hope. I mean, obviously, Australia is a big cruise market. We're not talking about, you know, Dubai or something that has a very small market and it's seasonal. I mean, yours is seasonal, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, you're, there, there's hope there. And maybe I'm being a little more optimistic and a little naive, perhaps, but, you know, they can't do this forever, right? And I'm, and I'm hopeful that they will obviously get you guys going there. Now, as it relates to your answer to your question, you know, it's hard to say. I can tell you that at least here in the States and also for cruises that are planned on Anthem of the Seas out of Southampton in England, that it looks like you've got to be vaccinated. If you can't get it in time, unfortunately, 
you know, it doesn't feel like you'd be allowed to get on board. Now, I don't know what the refund policies will be and how that all works. That's a really good question. I would, I would warn you, Craig, not to jump to any conclusions yet. Wait to see what the protocols are, especially for Australia and how that all works out. So, what you know, maybe they won't require the vaccine. I don't know. Maybe they will. We'll have to wait and see on that. So, uh, keep an eye out on that, Craig. And and I hope that uh, you'll have the opportunity to sail sooner than later because I, I I keep hearing from Australian friends probably once a week somebody will send me an email and ask me you know if I'm hearing anything or what's the latest and yeah I just basically just gave you the answer which is I don't know but yeah. Uh, next email is from Sydney who writes, hi, Matt. I love listening to your podcast as cruising is one of my favorite things to do. By far my favorite way to vacation. I've cruised with Disney Cruise Line and Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas. My fiance and I are going on Explorer of the Seas in February of 2022 for our honeymoon. My fiance has never cruised before, but is so excited for our itinerary. Any tips or tricks are absolutely must do's or don'ts for us. Sydney, thanks for the email. Boy, do's or don'ts, tips, tricks. All right, let's... Uh, this seven-hour podcast brought to you by Sydney. Uh, there's a lot, obviously. And I would tell you this. First and foremost, go to royalcaribbeanblog.com. And in the main menu, there's a link that says Getting Started. It's a good jumping-off point for you. To just kind of get going there, right? But there are a couple of basic things to tell anybody who's booking a cruise. Uh, and this isn't your first cruise, but you're still kind of new, right? Because this is obviously your... Uh, it sounds like your at least your third cruise, if not more. I mean, I don't know how many times you cruise at Disney. But your second Royal Caribbean cruise, right? So a couple things. Number one, you want to book things well in advance. You already booked your cruise. So you're good on that front, right? Uh, you know, use a travel agent. It might not be too late to move your reservation to a travel agent or rebook under a travel agent. It's always a good idea. Uh, you know, you want to plan out as far in advance. Planning out, researching is the key, Sydney, right? Learning about your ship. What does it offer on board? Taking advantage of the cruise planner website, which is on Royal Caribbean side. And you can, you know, book your drink packages and your shore excursions and a variety of other things. Look at that. Keep track of the prices. You can cancel and rebook anything on there. It's a really important thing. But research also the ports you're going to. I mean, it's your honeymoon. You want to do some special stuff on board, right? You're going to want to maybe do a really fun itinerary or a excursion rather. And something that's really kind of unique. Plan what's out there. The, the most important tip in general is research. Because an informed cruise passenger will have a better cruise than somebody else. It's just the nature of the beast. The most common issue people run into, Sydney, is people saying, I wish I knew about... X, Y, or Z. They didn't realize it was a thing. And so uh, look at a past cruise compass uh, from your for, from Explorer of the Seas. Now, granted, maybe some of this, you know, pre-COVID is a whole lot different, but learn the mo more the most possible about what your ship has to offer, what your itinerary has to offer, what there is to do in each port. Uh, the, the more you know, the easier your cruise will be. And listen, it's your honeymoon. It's a great time. Spending time together is really, in and of itself, a really fun thing to do. I spent my honeymoon on a cruise. We went on the Mariner of the Seas uh, for our honeymoon. And it's, it, listen, you can go to almost anywhere and probably have a very good time doing that. So, you know, make sure you spend some time, um, you know, planning out. One thing you might want to consider uh, as well, since you are, it's your honeymoon, you might, for dinner in the main dining room, perhaps you'd be interested in sitting at a table by yourself, just the two of you, rather than being at a table with other people there. Uh, that's something you can request ahead of time. Uh, I believe the email is rcldining at rccl.com. Send that a couple of weeks before your cruise with your name, reservation number, ship name that you want to request a table for two. And then Sydney, when you get on board the ship, so when you actually get on the ship on the first day, go down to the, the main dining room and on your CPAS card, it says what your table assignment is. So go find your table. Make sure they've given you that assignment. If not, don't worry. Just ask to speak to the head waiter who's usually there in the afternoon and they can rearrange something for you. So shouldn't be too, too difficult. And one other thing, uh, since it is your honeymoon, if they if you haven't already or travel agents done it already, 
put on your reservation on the notes that's your honeymoon. You never know what could happen because of that. So thank you to Sydney for uh, your email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this week's episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails, I'd love to read them here. Send them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.